Hello and welcome to uh, Cruising Through Doomsday, a podcast about Doctor Who Doomsday, a transmedia experience. I'm Philip Wheeland, my pronouns are he and him. I'm Georgia Harper, my pronouns are she and her, and yes... The Bastille reference in the title was my idea. Uh, This episode is covering the BBC audios for From Doomsday. Amazing title. Uh, And our guest joining us to discuss this is Celestial Toy Room Editor, ex-Tides of Time Editor, taker over of the zine world, uh, James Ashworth. How are you? Hello. Yes. No, lovely. Thank you. How are you doing? Good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Excellent. Um, So... We took, um, 4th from Doomsday came out, what, 24th of August? Something like that, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah, not that long ago. Philip and I listened to this last week, and basically, to cut a long story short, I took notes. I didn't, because I was cooking dinner while I was listening to the first, what, three stories on that? Um... So this will be interesting. It, it, it was lovely. It was worth it. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, I also have notes, but that's like partly because I listened to it in lots of blocks, so I didn't listen to them all back to back. Oh, okay. That's mm-hmm. interesting. So I listened, basically I was commuting to the office, so I listened to two on the way there and two on the way home. So in two blocks, but all kind of in one uh, in, in one day. Okay. Before we get on to uh, the content itself... A couple of admin bits. Firstly, um, cost. I got the CD. Um, again, as as throughout this series, we've been getting the physical version. That cost £12.45, which brings our running total to £45.88, plus the psychic damage from playing Lost in Time, plus the psychic damage of the realisation of how many so- everyday social interactions I avoid that would otherwise benefit me while trying to pre-order the novel. Some would say <laughs> that's a tall price to pay. Well, compared to Time Lord Victorious, you know. <laughs> How much was the vinyl? Uh, yeah, so the vinyl was, I, well, I think depending where you get it from, I think from Amazon it was thirty four ninety nine. So, you know, kind of like roughly, what, double-ish the price of the CD. But, and- but I, I understand it's purple. Yeah, blue? is the purple worth it? Uh, well, it's not just... So one of the discs is sort of like translucent vinyl, um, purple, and then the other is like translucent blue. So you can have like, okay, so a both. bit of both. And they do kind of like... I've, for people at home, I'm now retrieving the vinyl. Um, they kind of come with like their own little like custom sleeves. Ooh, so you kind of have nice. like... That's pretty nice. Sort of the... There's like a quote of like who, what the assignment is, and then like a picture of... So it's the it's showing the characters in each it, it's showing the characters in each story. So Barbara and Ian on the Steel Cascade, Ice Warriors on uh, the Martian one. Yep, and nice. The, hmm. And then yep, Pretty we've good. got Brian the Ood, and then nice. the Twelfth Doctor. But yes, yeah, so you kind of have the first two are on this like yeah translucent purple vinyl that looks quite nice. Like mm-hmm. it's nice when you hold it up to the light. I guess you don't appreciate it otherwise. But to be fair, that's just vinyl. That's not. Specific, that's not anything Doomsday has done. It's more than I appreciated then... the physical format of the CD, which went straight into iTunes and yes. onto my phone. Um... <laughs> but yeah, so kind of like I'm going to say Doomsday Purple and Tardis Blue are like the the two they're going for. It seems to work really well as like a collector's item sort of thing. Yes, yeah, I think so. You know, kind of like you know, it's kind of like vinyl is you know having a resurgence. It's one of those things where 
it you know it kind of had a phase where it sort of died out but now you know it is coming back and like lots of lots of people do vinyls i mean like i've got a a podcast episode of no such thing as a fish on a vinyl mm. that they oh, made wow. so you know kind of like vinyl is having a day and like everything can be vinyl if you if you believe absolutely i mean you you should know georgia your your favorite bands are are now releasing oh. more stuff on vinyl than on cd <laughs> oh yeah yeah there's um Something I've noticed in the past couple of years, I guess, with the vinyl resurgence and also, like, I guess, because streaming doesn't pay very much. Mm. Um, there's a real resurgence of vinyl and cassettes and, like, bundling things together. Yeah. So the one vinyl that I own, mm-hmm. uh, it's at my parents because they actually have a means of playing it, um, is uh, Muse's Will of the People because when they first released the album for pre-order... The only way I could pre-order the CD was if I also pre-ordered the vinyl. I see. <laughs> um, that's the only one with vinyl, but I have... The past few albums I have on multiple formats. Uh, how, how many copies of Give Me the Future by Bastille do we have in this house oh, at this point? Oh, God, like at least four. So many. And the lyric book and the cassette that I think, again, also went home. Um, I am, for my sins, a massive Royal Blood fan and... Their new album, well, I did not go for this particular format. I went for the CD and T-shirt. But you can, if you want, pre-order vinyl, CD and cassette with sliders, like sandals. You, you can do that now. <laughs> so, you know, maybe Brian the Ude was onto something with that T-shirt. Yeah. See, I, I think I think to, to make that a complete album experience, they should have a hidden track that's, I don't know, embedded in a secret usb stick that's attached to the label of the t-shirt or something look you're the software developer like if you want to code that fine just Um, a usb stick (laughs) yeah it would be interesting you know like they say that apparently vinyl is meant to be a better like reflection of Mm -hmm. the sound that's recorded so it'd be interesting to listen to the vinyl listen to the cd and see if you'd actually notice any i'm sorry as as an audio understander, <laughs> I think that actually the best reflection of the sound as intended is the CD. <laughs> However, I, I should point out that, like, w- again, we didn't listen to the CD on, like, a stereo or in a car, yeah. like it's 2004. <laughs> uh, I ripped the CD to iTunes and then we had it from there on our phones. And I li- I, I should say, I ripped it to iTunes on this like little portable disk drive thing because no computers come with disk drives anymore. Yeah. Um, so like it, I think we got away without any major skips and jumps, but mm-hmm. like, I'm not no, sure. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I would say that we listened to it like as intended by uh, the creator of the compact disc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think when we were listening to it, I mean, I think, there was one point where the vinyl did skip, and so Doom, I think, said something quite pretentious. I can't remember exactly what it was, but she repeated herself twice, and then we were what fantastic. Just, it mm. did. After that point, it did keep on going. It wasn't just like it kept doing that on loop forever. <laughs> yeah, I guess the only thing with vinyl is like, I, I I don't know if this is your experience, and you've already said you have notes, but like, I feel like it would make you actually sit and listen to it while staring fervently at the vinyl um, rather than you know yeah like we were both busy doing stuff yeah i mean that's like it was definitely worth listening to these it listening to it on vinyl it was very much like a 
this is a commitment. I'm like allocating time mm. to this. I'm sitting down. You know, it's also the other thing that I like to do when watching things is like pause, you know, TV shows or whatever at certain points and like talk about something that's just happened, mm-hmm. which might be because it's totally ridiculous or because it's quite interesting. Whereas like with this, at least with our viral player, like it just keeps going. It doesn't stop. It's like if you want to get up, you have to get up, like push the button, stop it, talk, mm-hmm. then keep going, which to be fair, it's probably just be being lazy. But I was just like, ah, I'm on the sofa. I'm just going to stay there. So on to the content. And yep. one thing that we have been talking about a lot in uh, this series is the fact that Suze Kempner... Um, that was the other thing I was going to say, actually, the trailer. Um, mm. The fact that Suze Kempner doesn't actually get to do very much up until this point. There was yep. a trailer uh, for this audio that was released earlier today. Um, we watched it in the about half an hour before we started recording, but good news, it's just Suze Kempner saying, 10 hours to go, time to find the doctor. Um, do, do we have any further comment on this, or shall I...? <laughs> uh, I mean, the only thing I noticed was just that... I mean, we'll probably get on to it when we start talking about the audios, but, like, this set seems to have, like, a Doom theme of kind of, like, there is a certain piece of music that plays as, like, Doom's yes. intro, hmm. which is not yeah. the same as the one in the short trailers. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good point. Yeah, because the one in the the one in the um in the BBC audio, it's like it's sort of calm piano, sort of like I didn't pay that much attention to it, but I guess my mind is going back to like Doctor Who Redacted. Yeah, yes. so Redacted yeah. was like a very much Redacted was very much riffing on the main theme in the way that this this was more just like ah an audiobook is about to begin. It might be sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, it reminded me of for anyone who's listened to it the like Sarah Jane audios that Big Finish did like pre Sarah Jane Adventures. Okay, like the second series, it kind of has like a very like harpsichordy like piece of music that reminded me of this a bit. But but that's a very good point, actually, uh, that it is not the same as the Doom theme in the trailers, which is is a ve- is very different in tone. Yeah, um, I mean, to be fair, music in trailers, like, uh, unless you have a very established property like the mainline Doctor Who TV show or something like the Avengers or Star Wars, music in trailers does often tend to be completely different from what you have in the actual film or tv series or or or, you know piece of audio so i wouldn't necessarily say that's bad that Mm. there's different music in the trailers what i would say is there's certainly different identities happening with with what they have in the trailers and what they have in in all the other media it's kind of emblematic of the it's kind of a metaphor for the series Mm. Uh, i was just gonna say kind of like i think kind of as you've discussed on other episodes like i don't know if it's maybe like a symptom of some things being ready before others and so kind of Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. maybe like came like the like specific doom theme came up later in the process so they sort of had like a more generic one to start with and then maybe put this in later like i don't know if that's the case but that's maybe one explanation. I suspect you're right. Mm-hmm. We have been talking about the fact that Sue's Kempner has not got a chance to do very much so far because it's all mm. been sort of audio, uh, not audio, sort of writing and comic based. Yeah. And we, I was very excited, therefore, to finally get to hear 
Suze Kempner in action playing Doom because I'd misunderstood the format. Um, (laughs) What actually happens is Suze Kempner uh, reads about Doom in the third person. Um, It's still something. We still get to hear her doing the Doom voices and the other voices, which she doesn't mean Barbara. She does an incredible. Yeah, she's really good at impressions. No, like incredible. Um, I genuinely thought. I mean, we'll get onto this in a second, but. I genuinely thought for Barbara that they had brought a different actor in until I heard Ian, which for mm-hmm. understandable reasons is is more obviously still Sue's <laughs> Kempner. Um, but yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> but still, like, you know, like, even like, you know, Ian, I would say probably isn't quite as good as Barbara, still pretty good on the whole. Oh, like, yeah. You definitely are oh, just yeah. like, this is someone who's clearly like, you know, listened to like Willie, um, William Russell and uh, yeah. Jacqueline Wright actually like talk. Oh, sorry, Jacqueline mm-hmm. Hill plays Barbara Wright. Um, like talk and then use that to you know sort of inform their performance. So it was really impressive. Absolutely. Um, so like yeah, we're still kind of removed from Doom, and I'm very excited for the big finish, which presumably is the more sort of audio drama. Yes. You know, yes. we're actually going to get to hear Doom live, kind of. And I should say the uh, stories, the first and final story in this audio is read by Suze Kempner. Um, mm. There are different narrators throughout, uh, which we will uh, list as, as we get to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yes, first story. It is um, It is essentially a sort of Cold War spy drama mm-hmm. type story. Yeah. Um, Doom, Doom comes in, uh, initially mistakes Ian and Barbara as, as her targets. So it she she appears on a, a cruise ship in Earth 1966. Um, so this is post Ian and Barbara post uh, their travels. Yeah. Cruise ship um, 1966. They mm. made it. They made it. They made it. <laughs> um, they do give the context again for uh, you know Doomsday in general. All of these workers pretty standalone. They don't, however, give. Um, have have you read the Extraction Point novel, James? Yes, yeah, I have. Yeah, so in in that novel, uh, which uh, we covered a couple of episodes ago, they do basically all but state that it's the first Doctor that she's looking for. Yes, and mm-hmm. that context is missing from this audio, which I think would have been obviously particularly pertinent for this story. Yeah, that's the thing. I think having that added context of knowing that it is the first Doctor she's looking for, it's like. She's got as close as she can to the first Doctor without actually meeting mm-hmm. him. Is more like it doesn't affect the story too badly, but I think it does add that little kind of extra for if you yeah. have committed to everything. There have been a number of times in the Doomsday series. So at the end of the Doctor Who magazine supplement, where uh, she meets Joe Grant and then runs off from the TARDIS. And then, of course, uh, the Titan comics with Missy, yes. which end with Missy going back to the 12th Doctor. At that time, both of those respective doctors were in the running uh, for New Venice, and it did leave me with that. Oh, what she's got as close as she can get, yeah. And not, and I think, yeah, it's unfortunate that that is missing from this. Yeah, no, it's something where, like, you know, I kind of I noticed that they did sort of do like a general intro for the whole Doomsday mm-hmm. concept in the Steel Cascade, so. Yeah, I you know, I guess they are sort of hoping that people will be buying this individually as well as people who are like just mm-hmm. buying everything and just hoping that they can kind of strike a balance between them. 
Absolutely. So Doom, in, in that sort of context part, uh, I wrote down a quote. She needed to find the doctor for reasons. <laughs> Which I think is is the most succinct and yet the the most on point explanation of the entire of the entire setup, right? Yeah. She needs to find the right doctor for reasons and every hour she needs to go to next location. Yeah. I mean that's the thing, right? That she's kind of like, I've got to find the first doctor, but like she could just find the first doctor and the first doctor be like, I can't help. Like, mm. I was there, but I can't help. Like, it is very much, you know, it's like desperate person trying not to die, which, you know, fair enough. But like every doctor she's met so far has had the same response of like, yeah, I can't help. Yeah, um, this so it sort problem. of feels unlikely. But yeah, if if it is literally that or you die, then I can see why yeah. you still want to follow that lead. Yeah, you know, like you've just got to just got to wing it. Hope for the best. Uh, So Doom... Uh, having, as Philip mentioned, mistaken Barbara and Ian for her uh, targets, which are the Red Gorgon and the Steel Cascade. Um, she tries to give them poisoned cocktails. Then on realising that they are not the targets and are friends of the Doctor, Doom drinks them both. <laughs> and she's like, don't worry, I've taken the antidote. So for someone who doesn't want to die, then, mm. you know. Yeah, like, it's just... You know, it's nice to finally have Suze Kempner, like, allowed to act. And, like, you know, mm. she's funny and the script is funny. Yeah. And it's just generally just nice to actually hear her be able to, like... I know she's interacting with different characters played by herself, but it's still nice to actually just hear Doom talk to people with a voice. Yeah, very much so. And I, I, am, I am enjoying finally sort of meeting the character properly, getting, getting to know Doom... Um, embodied in in one way or another um certainly with with extraction point um i i enjoyed the fact that she had some kind of an internal monologue in this i i like that she has an actual voice um it's obviously distinct from just suze kempner being suze kempner i think it's good i really wish that this would have been released first yeah, mm. it would have done a lot better if this was earlier. Yeah, I think this has come up in a number of our conversations and I I think it's ultimately down to the fact that there are obviously limitations around when you can get everyone in a room to record and things like that. And while they could have kicked off the story now, it would have run into the 60th anniversary specials. Yeah. So I think they've essentially just shot themselves in the foot by being like, we have to release this transmedia series specifically between June and October. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things, like, we'll get to it in a minute, but, like, not all of these audios are narrated by Suze Kempner. Yes. And it would just be, you know, I don't know if just having had Suze Kempner record all of them would have been any quicker or if it is just mm -hmm. was a matter of availability and why they got different people. But, you know, who knows? So uh, we are then introduced to Anton Skutnik, who is a Romanian uh, escapee from the Soviet Union. He's wanted by all their secret agents and so on, and he is being pursued by uh, Dasha, who we are told is the Red Gorgon agent um, that Doom was assigned to kill. Um, I just have a line under that that says, Suze Kempner is brilliant at this. Yes, it, it's almost like doing voices is a very common and very useful skill for a comedian to have. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Um, one thing that came up in a, a discussion earlier is uh, Suze Kempner's material online, uh, in particular the Nadine Dorry sketches, are really, really funny mm-hmm. uh, and have been much more successful. And that is in large part because Suze Kempner is good at writing comedy, which yes. she has not been able to do in this, um, which is a shame. But her acting and voiceovers are are also very good. Yeah. They're like kind of... One thing I kind of wrote down was that um, like both um, Anton and Dasher, who we'll get to in a moment, like their accents are very like, I don't know if you've ever seen any of the like original Man from Uncle TV shows, but they're like, it's like a 60s Cold War spy Mm. series. Like you have kind of like a US agent, a USSR agent have to team up. I think we've literally caught like a couple of episodes of of that at some point. But it's like, Mm. it's kind of like, that was kind of the vibe I got from this particular audio was that it was like a sort of like man from uncle, like 60s spy thing, like, and kind of like having like these, you know, like, like heavy Russian accents sort of like goes with that sort of like 60s spy thing where all the accents like, you know, that they're not like genuine Russian speakers, but you're just like, but it just goes with that whole sort of genre. Yeah, again, which is appropriate for a Cold War thriller set in the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Skutnik uh, is poisoned, um, but manages somehow while dying to meet Barbara and Ian uh, and hand them a supercomputer, which, quote unquote, invents. Um, there is some kind of alien in the centre, which he says must never get out. Um, Doom lets it get out. Yes. Yeah. I just want to say with, like, Anton being poisoned is that, like, the fact that, like, the Russian agent Dasha has, like, a poisoned finger is just such a, mm. like, you know, J- like, James Bond style, really slightly silly weapon, yeah, it, but also it it's really quite effective. Is. Yeah. If if someone had told me that, like, if if someone was, had said in casual conversation uh, that there was a james bond film called poison finger i'd believe them <laughs> but i just it, it just sounds right um well you go from gold finger to poison finger that's a natural progression in it yeah um no what i wanted to say is first of all phenomenal work on the sort of background audio effects yes. very yeah. atmospheric genuinely gave me chills a few times uh audio engineers working on this production deserve great kudos yeah Second thing I wanted to say, I was actually half expecting this to be some kind of a Cyberman adjacent story, because it is a very similar sort of thing to, uh, what was it, the Siberian in mm. the haunting of Villa Diodati, that mm. sort of silvery metal that when when you touch it turns you into Cyberman. I'm obviously oversimplifying, but... Um, Doom uh, releases a supercomputer and it creates uh, what she calls nanoforms, uh, which basically eat slash replace Dasher and then set about eating slash yeah, replacing the floor. I just know what Philip mm-hmm. said. Like, my other like idea was like the sound design and like a sixties computer, especially from like nineteen sixty six, is the year that Wotan is about in the War Machines. So I was also like, is this ah. meant to be like an early mm-hmm. prototype of Wotan at first? You know, like has this been invented and then you know it caused chaos before? See, I I kind of jumped. Initially, uh, when shown the supercomputer, um, I kind of jumped to Dalek simply because of the mention that there was an alien yeah. inside that must never get out. 
my brain just jumped to like Dalek innards. Um, obviously that turned out to be completely wrong. So Doom has been assuming, uh, so Red Gorgon is Dasher. Doom has been assuming that Steel Cascade is a person, but it isn't. It's an event that she has to stop. Um, and she created the event, <laughs> uh, Timey Wimey, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, nanoforms take over the boat. Uh, there's kind of a scene where Doom and Barbara have to escape underwater. Um, and you know, yeah, to kind yeah. of it's just they all have to get out. That was that was again that was a very mm. very well done sort of scene. Um, I I I genuinely like that. It was kind of. Barbara driving this a, a lot of this um Absolutely. I think I I would once again love to see a sort of weird Barbara slash doom <laughs> team up story you know they 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 do solve problems very well together yeah it's like it's interesting like doom is kind of like Ian and Barbara's doctor in this story like but like it's it does a really good yeah. job of kind of balancing like this is set in the 60s and it's sort of like a 60s style episode but also doom is a very modern character who will do things like you know that sort of blow mm. ian and barbara's minds but they complement each other quite well there's also um thinking about that barbara and ian as characters um in the kind of original sort of series they're maybe comparatively independent compared to some, not necessarily the most recent era, uh, because yes. there were a lot of companions in the Chibnall era and he tended mm-hmm. to split them up quite a lot. But kind of prior to that, um, you know, it was very one-on-one for a while. And because of the nature of how the um, William Hartnell series was filmed, uh, we recently watched The Keys of Marinus again. Well, me again, you kind of the second half for yeah. the first time. And essentially, in that series, as was commonplace at the time, uh, William Hartnell takes his two week yeah. holiday to which he is entitled. And therefore, the doctor simply just isn't in it for two episodes. Um, and, you know, I feel like. Barbara and Ian here give that kind of vibe of like Doom is kind of their doctor, yes. but also they yeah. are capable of doing things yes. themselves. Um, so, yep, they all get out. And then the nanofor- nanoforms, when they take over the boat, pop on contact with seawater. Yeah. How I mean, I guess it's one of those things where, um, like, you know, and... this guy was, Anton was trying to get rid of Steel Cascade or at least try and get it to people who might be able to do something better mm. with it. And so, like, I guess it makes sense for him to have chosen to travel by, like, boat. So just in case everything goes wrong, he can throw it overboard ah, like he was rather than, like, getting overboard. on a train and being yeah. like, oh, crap, it's escaping. Yeah. One hell of a background to HS2. <laughs> oh, God. Don't give Nick Briggs ideas. Um, so there's a nice little um, there's a nice little epilogue where Barbara and Ian promise to tell Doom all about the Doctor and, quote... Doom, who could easily become bored, was enthralled by every story they had. Which, nice bit of giving yeah. Doom a personality yeah. there. Um, I, I, do, I do think that, like, there's, there's a bit of a nitpick that I have with, with, this, uh, with this particular uh, ending, is that presumably rowing a lifeboat from... You know, a bit. Even if they are literally in the the, mm. the straits of like the Dardanelles, rowing a lifeboat from a sinking cruise ship, presumably they will have to be 
you know, in, in the middle of, of the strait where the where the water is deep enough for a cruise ship to actually to go, yeah. be able to float. Um, that would take a bit longer than, like, the five minutes that it's implied that it took. Yeah, it's a bit like, I guess, how... I don't know if you've ever watched any of 24, but, like, 24 sometimes has to take shortcuts to be, like this person just needs to be there and yeah. like there's no way they can physically reach it in time but just dramatic yeah. license they're there now they they did also in oh actually it's in it's in this in the next audio story um there is uh, we'll get to it in detail later but there is a moment where yeah. they just go over time yes. and they just make it work um so you know i think i think we can um we can forgive that. What I can't forgive <laughs> is Terry. Yeah. We get Terry to hear debut. Terry's voice, which is which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Great to hear that. However, I note that she is, uh, or she seems to be American, and more importantly, she does not sound exactly no. like Terry from The Thick of It, which, which was greatly disappointing. Yeah. To be fair, all Terrys yeah, should sound like choice. Terry from The Thick of It. Uh, even male Terry's, yes. everybody. Um, yeah, no, Terry's voice reminded me of, I don't know if you've seen um, Toast of Tinseltown, but, like, there's a character played by Dune McKeekin called Brooke Huberman, who is, like, this American agent who really kind of gives me that kind of voice that they went for for Terry in this. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, I just, the whole time, like, when I read Hour One, yeah. which is very terry heavy um i really loved that kind of spoof of you know bureaucracy yes. and i my brain immediately yeah. jumped to the <laughs> thick of it terry and it has been the thick of it terry in my head for the entire time and again if they had started with the audios this these expectations could have been managed very quickly uh, but now i've developed this character that already exists uh, and it turns out to be somebody else. Yeah, I guess she's kind of more like a bureaucrat in, like, Roz from Monsters, Inc. Sort of like that style voice. Oh, uh, yeah, mm. that makes sense. Yeah. I, could, I could, yeah, I can absolutely hear that voice with that face. <laughs> yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And then we've got to go to next location, which is Mars. Um, any final thoughts on the Steel Cascade? No, I, I really, I really enjoyed it, it. No, it was a really good way to kick off the set. Absolutely. And yeah, it, we've talked about it already, but cannot stress enough. Suze Kempner's Barbara is incredible. Like if she was just on Big Finish playing Barbara right, yeah. like I would believe it 100%. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I look forward to the further adventures of Barbara box set coming soon. The further adventures of Doom and Barbara, save yeah. costs, <laughs> one actor. Yes. <laughs> Nick Briggs, you know you want to do it. Um, uh, so then we are moving on to the Martian Dilemma, which is uh, again a different narrator, um, read by Jade Griffiths. Um, again, kind of doing all the voices and yes. so on. Um, I've, I've actually written here much prefer the music in this audio, by the way, um, which we've covered. Um, hmm. So Doom is on Mars. Uh, the Ice Warriors are mentioned as oh they live here. Uh, Doom's instructions are that Kellex must die. And the reason that she chose the mission is that the Ice Warriors were here. The Doctor has fought the Ice Warriors on occasion. So maybe the yeah. Doctor is going to turn up. And I was very grateful um, 
we actually didn't talk about this in the previous story, but in the fight with Dasha, um, Dasha steals and destroys Doom's gun. And I was very grateful to see that they remembered that in the following hour and the gun did not respawn. (laughs) What I I would like to see if is whether they will keep that continuity into the big finish or if that'll reset the gun. Yeah, because I guess they... I get the impression they won't... They just didn't have much time to talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely... We'll get to it when we get to a later story, but there definitely are bits where Doom does things where you're like, right, but she's she knows what this is or has done this before. And they're like, in the... In this, they're like, oh, she's never done this before. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, she, yeah, she has. Yeah. She did it in the book or something. Yeah, definitely. On on the gun thing, um, in uh, towards the end of this audio series, um, she finds another gun, which I assume the kind of canon explanation will be that that gun is basically identical. Yeah, um, possibly. So I think I think they've kind of done it in such a way that they've sort of reset it at the end, even though it's not going to be perfect. I mean, it's it's fun to it's fun to uh see her try and use you know a, a mm. earth gunpowder based gun mm-hmm. in 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 the yeah. next story from that the Halloween one. I was just gonna say just on Jay Griffith. So I believe mm-hmm. she is um the actor who she appeared in uh I think it's Day of the Doctor. She was one of the like unit scientists who gets killed off by the Zygons. Oh, but okay. It's just it was interesting just that when she starts doing her Doom voice. The first time you actually hear Doom speak is Doom doing a Cockney accent to pretend to an alien that she's not who she is. And I did have a brief, I did have a brief moment where I was just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> does the story now think that like Doom is Cockney? Doom is, has not been Cockney at any point in the previous story. <laughs> well, we don't know that there isn't a Doom EastEnders spinoff. It's true. When they go into <laughs> our 26. Yeah. And, and it's it, Dimensions and it, in Time all and, over and again. It, and it goes Doom, 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 Doom. <laughs> Never change, Philip. <laughs> um, back on Mars, Doom encounters humanoids and the city. There are ice warriors there, but they are mixing with all kinds of aliens, humanoids, and uh, many other you know, species. Um, it's eleven thousand BC, so the uh, the explanation is that this is just so long ago that Earth humans, which is what Doom mm-hmm. is, um they don't yeah. you know they couldn't possibly have known that um but it very much reminded me of the rings of akaten as a kind of vibe I, I love i love that one of the aliens in in that particular version of mars is is a gibberon yeah. yes and, and the gossiping yeah, alien the gibberon. gossiping alien gibberon <laughs> that's amazing no it's like as ways to get exposition in go just being like oh this alien's personality is all just like exposition you're like great love it <laughs> Exposition. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're you're getting dangerously close to how they named one of the characters lost in powers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> no, um, you know, it's exposition. It has to go somewhere. The Gibberon explains very helpfully that Kellex is the new Martian queen. Uh Gibberon seems to be a fan. Uh there's a rumor going around that Mars is a dying planet and uh Gibberon seems to think that Kellex is going to save everybody. Um, so off Doom goes to go find and spy on Kellex. Mm. It's also just interesting, like the whole city. So I think it's called like Jadeite or something. She's built, a, but it's kind of like, it is kind of like Doom goes yes. to the Emerald City because it's all green. 
like she you know she's like portal in green, yes. out of somewhere yeah. you know it's a more murdery version of the wizard of oz less wizards more murder so we then have quite a lengthy part where doom secret secretly listens in on this discussion with kellix who is like a female ice warrior and her all-male advisory team about, like, entering alliances with other aliens. Kellex isn't keen on it, but she, like, reluctantly agrees to listen to offers. There's, like, an offer. It's, like, alien political drama. It's I all, really it's struggle to get into it. It's all very, like, Star Wars a Phantom Menace mm. in that regard. Yeah. Like, you, you could make the case that the gibberon was literally Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it's, you know, you do have, like, Doom cuts in to make, like, sort of, kind of, like, side remarks, just being like, oh, come on, hurry up. Like, I've got a, I'm on the clock. I've got a line here that's blah, 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 thought Doom, and I've just put same. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, you know, like, so they do at least break it up a bit, but yeah, it does, like, go on for longer than maybe it needs to. Mm-hmm. I, I also noted, like, and I think, this probably, um, again, it was a note I wrote at this point, and I'm not sure how much it holds. Is like, there's sort of interesting gender politics here of like an an unreasonable, unhinged woman uh, intimidating very, very reasonable men who just want her to mm. do the right thing, and mm-hmm. obviously that becomes complicated. I I think that's a deliberate choice, and it obviously becomes more complicated yeah. Yeah. Um, as you get through. It's it's done in such a way that, like, obviously Kellex is introduced as has to be killed. You're then told she's, like, going to save everybody and is the saviour of all women. And then you're putting that she's putting this situation where you sort of, or I sort of wanted to feel sorry for her. But then actually it turns out that she's very much in the wrong. And yeah. I thought that aspect was yeah. really interesting. Is is a complex setup, which again you could do that quite effectively, but I don't think that this particular story is. Yeah, I think it's definitely one where if the stories were like you know like think like a full big finish like two hour story, then you could kind of build up the sort of world of it a bit more. Whereas like this one has to be crammed into a certain amount of time. And so I think kind of some of that maybe subtlety does get lost along the way. Um, There's one more line that I've written down, which is a doom quip. And I annoyingly have not written down exactly what it's in response to, but it's as this argument between the ice warriors gets very heated. Doom says, and I I think I heard this properly. These ice warriors might take each other out in a fit of woke rage. And I was so confused by that. I wrote that down as well. I couldn't work out what about the argument was woke in any way. That is certainly a quote. Well, I'm glad I wasn't mishearing. So I was like, have I just just got that wrong? Because it doesn't make any... Like, even if you leave the culture war stuff aside, there isn't anything culture war-y in it. I just didn't get it. I think think the culture war... Again, maybe I'm misremembering because I was cooking at the time. This certainly made me pause for a second. Um, I think their argument was that the the men in in this situation wanted to sort of expand uh, the Ice Warriors empire through military yeah. means and, and, and conquest, whereas she wanted 
to sort of be more sustainable almost and and sort of expand through diplomatic alliances and 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 that yeah. sort of thing i mean that's that's like again to adopt the like really awful misuse of woke by um like mostly white right-wing press um yeah like the only, there's only one person there that could be said to be being woke and everyone else there is is not being woke so to categorize to, to categorize the entire rage as it really it, it's is just such an odd framing and just sits really like yeah. uneasily with everything else it's 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 very sort of strangely worded it, it sticks out with like a sore thumb doesn't it I again yeah. I was just like I did I mishear that so I'm I'm really glad he didn't. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of like it doesn't really suit the scene or just like the kind of like medieval-y story vibes more widely. Mm. It's just I, I don't know, it feels like something that maybe like an editor at some point like added in which what maybe wasn't originally there because it just I, I don't know why you'd write a script and like if you would like reading through it get to that point and be like, "Oh yeah, that sounds normal. Let's keep going." So, um, Doom does eventually ambush Kellex. Uh, it fails, uh, and this leads to her being captured by Kellex and by her husband Asla, who is is one of the uh, advisors, mm. uh, and I think one of the most vocal ones. Yes. Um. So they uh, kidnap Doom. They take her vortex manipulator away, and it is noted that the vortex manipulator at the end of the hour could well reset and activate itself, trapping Doom on Mars forever. Um, notably, uh, the line I have down here is, planet of birth, number of siblings, marital status, where I'm going on my holly bobs. And I've just written, it somehow tracks that Doom is a holly bobs person. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm sure like Terry got that noted down during the like HR process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it is like the first time that doom has like been in proper trouble because like in other mm -hmm. ones she's definitely there's bits where it's like oh no she might be in danger but she's never been like tied up had all her stuff taken away from her like literally yeah. doesn't really have anything to stop her dying i mean i mean there is something about like yes she's in peril and i really enjoyed that um but also like you know you know that at the end of this disc there is another, there are two more stories yeah. and there's a big finish after that. So obviously you've got that limitation and that might explain why it hasn't featured, but I definitely yeah. enjoyed this kind of twist on it. I, I, so this is the bit where the actual like political intrigue part is effectively over mm. and mm -hmm. good because yes. it really kind of dragged on for a bit too long, I think. Um, so we got, we got this whole torture scene, um, and and then it actually turns out that well two things turned out one is that it is Kellex's husband mm. that actually hired an assassin which which doom deduces i've just put doom doesn't know the client but starts to deduce it thanks to aforementioned political drama yes. so there's definitely a hint of like well, if you somehow manage to pay attention to all of that and understand it, which I'm sure nobody has, <laughs> then you would have known that this was Asla. So it was a little bit of like, oh, well, I guess I missed yes. out by not being into that bit. It, 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 is, it is a little deus ex machina. It is a little, you know, standard tropes of a political intrigue. Yeah. I mean, I kind of guessed 
it was Aslar just on the basis that like he was the only other ice warrior like character in that room apart from Kellix who like got to say a lot. It kind of like felt mm. like you know it's a bit like when you're watching like a murder mystery or something and it's like you have like the main characters then it's like special celebrity guest star and you're like god I wonder who the murderer could be. It's the person who like <laughs> is actually there and gets stuff to do. So it definitely was yeah, like yeah I I kind of. Sorry. No, I was just to say, like, you know, he just kind of felt like he's literally the only other character in this. There can't be anyone else who does it. So I put that down to, like, just the fact that Aslar was uh, Kalex's husband as to why he was given more attention than the other okay. uh, Ice Warriors who are not who are not named. Um, but, yeah, so it was Aslar. Um, uh, th- I've just written, there is gender here. Which is acknowledged. And <laughs> this whole thing smacks of gender. Yeah. Uh, so Kellix ultimately kills Aslar, who eventually Aslar confesses to hiring Doom because the Ice Warriors aren't ready for progress yet. Like, this is not subtle. Like, I think actually when I got to that bit, I kind of sort of realized why the woke range comment was put in in that like this is trying to be about a culture war but in a way that's just quite confused yeah Yeah. i i think i think there was a there was a decent story in there somewhere but maybe either this was like an early draft that then got polished or as you said um james Hmm. i think Maybe it was actually something that got then edited down to whatever this was. So the second thing that transpires in in that actually fairly short sequence Mm. um, is that this is a fixed point in time. And we learn that this is as much of a problem for the Lesser Order of Oberon Assassins as it is for uh, the Doctor and a lot of other time travelers. We we do get like a little little vignette um sort of, of, of exposition stating that a lot of uh a lot of new hires at the order will take the you know, there's always a permutation on the kill Hitler assignment yeah. and is inevitably going to be their last assignment because when you when you end up with a fixed point in time sort of scenario you either fail your mission or you die. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It kind of, like... You do sort of suspect that might be coming because otherwise there's no real reason for Doom to sort of just drop in the fixed point stuff earlier on. So Mm. you kind of do think it might be coming. So, like, you know, like, the ending as a whole is a bit of a fudge. Like, it does just kind of go, like... Oh, you know, well, maybe I don't kill you, but like you don't achieve anything anyway, so who cares? I I've written down Doom gets out of the assassination, client is dead, nobody remembers any of this in the future, possible fixed point in time, and persuades Kellex to let her go. Um by this point, the Vortex manipulator thankfully has not materialized de- materialized somewhere else. Hmm. Um, but it has overrun by 15 minutes. Uh, there is a nice mention of Doom saying um, the shadow is almost at her shoulder. I do feel like one criticism I have of the series as a whole is that it keeps forgetting about the death Oh, bit. yeah, for sure. Mm. Um, which is a shame because that's a lovely, like, in some of the early comic strips, there was some brilliant imagery there and I think it's kind of got lost. Yeah, it's also interesting just, like, in the um, 
in Extraction Point, there's a bit where the Doctor like extends Doom's time briefly so that they can go get a coffee mm-hmm. together. But then Death still turns up on the hour. Whereas yes. like in this, Doom gets 75 minutes and Death is then only just starting to turn up. So it's a bit inconsistent mm-hmm. in that, like, is, is Death is punctual or just sort of hanging about? Mm-hmm. Again, kind of just down to the different corporate partners not getting to talk to each other, yeah. probably. Um, so uh, in, the, in the rush with Death fast approaching, Doom sets her next location randomly. Yeah. Um, final thoughts on the Martian dilemma. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, like, just kind of in terms of, like, the ending with just kind of like, oh, I'm just not going to kill you, Kellex, but you'll be forgotten. Like, my, I don't know, I came up with just, like, my random, like, head cannon thing would be, like, because Kellex is against the, like, Armageddon Alliance, you know, this group that all the other Ice Warriors want yeah. her to join. So you could just maybe have, like, Kellex decide to go to war with the Armageddon Alliance and, like, dies in battle, like, taking them down. And then you could kind of have it as, like, a, well, you know, she definitely dies, but there's sort of a point to Doom being there rather than just, like, Doom sort of being like, I won't kill you, you won't kill me, and it'll just sort of work out. Yeah, I, I think this was the weakest of the four stories. Yeah, I think um, so. A lot of it, I think, existed as setup for the next story. I think, obviously, the next story is brilliant, and we get to meet Brian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was so excited. <laughs> that was so good. But this was definitely... Look, these sort of palace dramas, intrigue type things are always tricky to pull off because you need someone who can actually write them well. And this wasn't it for me. Yeah, I just, I don't think it quite pulled through. Like, you know, like, it's not a bad story by any means. It's just, it's not where it needs to be for this kind of tale to work. Yeah. So we then go to California. Yes. On Halloween. Doom appears. Uh, This is um, an Oud Halloween. Uh, I was really hoping it was Brian. Um, and it is read by Silas Carson, who I believe is the voice of the yep. Ute. Um, and mm-hmm. Doom, again, having just in a rush set her location randomly, she lands in a shop in Halloween in San Francisco. Doom has to find an obvious alien. I think it's Caloxian or Carloxian. Um, but of course, everybody is in costume. So that makes it difficult. And who comes along but our old pal Brian? Yeah. Yes. So essentially, the reason why the last story was set up, Brian shows up after Doob failed her her last assignment as a sort of, you know, putting her on probation. Yeah. Yeah, No, I, I just found it really funny when they introduced Brian as just like him just standing in the street wearing a pair of like plastic horns. Just like, I'm here for you, Doom. So, James, we didn't really do any of um, uh, Time Lord Victorious. Yeah. So my knowledge of Brian the Ute, um is limited to looking up TARDIS wiki because the Lesser Order of Oberon came up in our one yes. and was also where Brian the Ute works. 
Um, but I understand you did. Have, did you do all of Time Lord Victorious, or did you do? Uh, yes, yeah. So I've done. Yeah. I like some of it. I can't remember as well as I did, but yes, I have. I did. Fair go enough. There is there is there is actually more. There was actually more Time Lord Victorious content oh. than there is capacity for the human memory. <laughs> um, yes. So yes. it is understandable that you you don't remember it all. But like this characterization of Brian. Um, he has a translation sphere called Mr. Ball. Mm-hmm. It's also his weapon. I was wondering whether that was in Time Lord Victorious. And I was also wondering, just in terms of the consistency of the characterization of Brian, yeah, how did you feel about this return? Yeah, so Mr. Ball has... he's in, He has always been with Brian since he... I think Brian did first turn up as the T-shirt, the iconic t-shirt incredible and so and mr. incredible ball, i love it and so yeah mr ball is like he is there from the beginning so yeah brian has this kind of like dual personality of like polite like sort of ood who will kill you politely and mr ball who is a more like kind of psychotic killing machine and you know kind of like generally kills people by using the kind of translation sphere as like to electrocute the head kind of like mm-hmm. in planet of the ood yeah. And yeah, you know, like I like there are sort of I'd say they're like there are two versions of Brian the Ood in the sense that you have the Silas Carson version, which we get in here. And there's also in the Minds of Magnox, which was also written um, by Darren Jones, who wrote Four from Doomsday. Um, there's a ve- version performed by Jacob Dudman, who kind of does like a more okay. of a like, I'd say, like conventional Ood, whereas like Silas Carson's one is a bit more of an Ood with more of a like a. I don't know, like an edge to him, I guess. And so, that yeah. makes sense. There's also, if you want to be really picky, there is technically a third version of Brian the Ood in Time Fracture, because I, I have met Brian the Ood <laughs> in person. I assume, yeah, I assume that is played by whoever was available that day to play Brian the Ood. Yes, I assume so. But yes, so Brian the Ood is one of the sort of characters who takes you around within the Time Fracture and also is kind of there to fight off a particular Time Lord agent. And sadly for Brian the Ood, actually dies during Time Fracture. Um, but because Time Fracture uh-huh. gets undone, Brian survives to come back in this audio. Excellent. Um, mm-hmm. Another quote that I wrote down, I think is Doom saying to Brian, you're working for the Order again after you wiped out the entire previous administration. Is that Time Lord Victorious law? Yes, that is TLV backstory is that he killed off all of the lesser order of oberon or at least like in this one they like i don't know if it specifies just the management previously but in this one it specified he just kills off all the management rather than just like everyone yes. mm-hmm. yeah so brian obviously um looks very obviously alien but it's halloween so that doesn't matter he can move around fairly freely um they see uh, Brian the Ood is as Doom describes Demon Star Wars Cantina guy. That's yeah. not Doom. That's that's one of the. That's like a passerby. Yeah. Um. We also we also hear from people in a mustachioed plumber's costume. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. There's also a bit where they talk about like what Doom presumed were popular comic book characters that we can't describe for legal reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so eventually, Doom and Brian discover a gravity pod that definitely shouldn't be on 20th century Earth, uh, but all the contents have been ripped out. 
Um, one thing I did think about, as much as I was very excited to finally get to meet Brian the Ude, um, having heard so much, having seen <laughs> the t-shirt, yeah. uh, the, the, the hype. Despite that, I did wonder if this one, this story maybe falls into the trap that a lot of Doomsday stories have fallen into of being like, oh, the cameo drives the entire story. Yeah, I mean, like, you do get sort of, Brian does have, is sort of like Doom, but has like cooler stuff. It's like he has a better vortex manipulator, He had which can like scan for stuff. He can do like jumps within the location. So he does kind of get these bonuses, but yeah, like, he definitely is like a part of the plot. But I think the plot does sort of hold together, even if Brian wasn't there. But I think it is better for having Brian in it. Mm-hmm. Well, you need to, you need to have some kind of helper, right? Because, uh... The, the the thrust of the story is that they both basically have to follow this alien to like a radio transmitter because the alien wants to hijack the radio transmitter to broadcast his SOS yeah. call uh, to get picked up from Earth and continue doing whatever nefarious dealings that, that he was doing before. So they, they end up like having this big fight on top of the radio transmitter, cut out the power so that he can't signal for, for help. I was just going to just kind of something we haven't mentioned is that Specifically, it's not just California, though, and it's San Francisco 1999, which is the same mm-hmm. setting and year as the TV movie with Paul McGann. Yeah, so I had, I had a moment initially where I was like, Paul McGann, yeah. <laughs> Paul McGann, Paul McGann. But then I remembered <laughs> that that was specifically New Year and this was specifically yeah, Halloween. Yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, I just kept thinking there might be like, refer- you know, I thought they might maybe might go to like the Institute where like the nuclear clock is and stuff like that. Maybe some like, or maybe like they might mention like Grace Holloway in the background or something. But no, it does, you know, it doesn't happen. Just like interesting link. What Doom does manage to do is uh, in that initial fight with Valich, the uh, alien, is, uh, first of all, she manages to steal a gun to use for the remaining yeah. stories. Which she steals from, which she steals from, like, a gay bar, possibly? Like, oh, well, it's kind of... Yeah, I, no, I, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's a conventional Earth firearm, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the other thing that she does is Grand Theft Auto with her monocle. Yes. That's cool, honestly. Yeah. Yes. I'm here for that. I wish we'd had more of that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, it's just sort of, it's a weird way to go for sort of like Doom portals into a gay bar, steals a gun from a policeman, and then just like that setting is completely instead of like, it's it's a cool location. It's just like unexpected it's, for Doctor It's Who. very Terminator yes. is what it is. Mm-hmm. I... Also love, yeah, the Brian trying to be a human in a mask bit. There's another line I wrote earlier on that is um, uh, about uh, a woman that they encounter whose partner had just been killed by this alien. Um, And Brian ducked away before she could feel his very real face. Yeah. Um, It's just a continuing bit, which Mm. which I really like. I, I can't remember exactly what's happened here, but my next note is, oh no, R.I.P. Brian the Ood. Yes. Um, spoilers, he's not dead. <laughs> yeah. I, I, think, I think he gets knocked out during the fight on top of the uh, the antenna, right? Yes. And the, the, the actual kill there is that Doom basically uses Mr. Ball to uh, to complete the, the assassination, which also 
somehow revives Brian. Yeah, it's sort of it's a slightly weird story with Brian, just because like she definitely would have failed it if Brian hadn't been there, because like she had to teleport to yeah. the right place. He had the scanner to like show them where to go, and then like Brian does like take a lot of the hits from. I, I like is it Va- Vasich something like that the villain um Valich. Valich, yeah and so it's and then he just sort of like Brian then just kind of like yeah dies for a bit so that Doom could use Mr Ball kill the guy and then Brian can be like oh no I was fine don't worry so thinking about um obviously I didn't know this uh, at the time of listening um but thinking about what you said about time fracture <laughs> that's twice in two uh consecutive appearances that brian has died and come back to life is this the new rory williams (laughs) i mean maybe you know just like rory is the master maybe rory is also brian the ood (laughs) or possibly you know in pond life rory does find an ood on the loo maybe that's brian Maybe that okay. is Brian. Maybe that is Brian. Although that, that Ood was not particularly murderous. I, I don't know. Maybe the Ood had like some long game ulterior motive that he yeah. wasn't yeah. given the chance to complete. I, I think I think there should be a an extra bonus story uh, that's coincidentally called The Life of Brian. <laughs> I mean, I to be honest, don't I just Nick Briggs, any I more Brian the Ood content we can have would be brilliant. I agree. Is um, is this trying to soft launch a Brian De Ood cinematic universe? Because the, the whole <laughs> like again in hearkening back to the DWM interview, this is supposed to be an on ramp into Doctor Who, or at least into the Doctor Who extended yeah. universe. So why are we spending an entire story here on Brian De Ood, a character from? A transmedia experience that has already concluded. From a t-shirt. From a t-shirt, yes. <laughs> I mean, I guess, you know, it's trying to be like, like, you know, I don't know how much of a success, like, financially TLV was, but I guess it's trying to just be like, from a story perspective, don't worry, these characters, like, they, they'll they be here forever. You know, there will be Brian the Ood and Shooty Gatwa, maybe, you know. Yes! Yes. I have to, I have to say, um... I assume that TLV must have been somewhat of a success oh, I'd hope so, for yeah. them to make Doomsday. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So then the story concludes. Brian is alive and he leaves Doom with passing words that I think are emblematic of the series as a whole. I'm rather pleased that you succeeded. Goodbye, Doom. Yeah. It's another good line <laughs> after. I think Brian yes. just describes TLV as well at some point as like, I've been on some adventures and just leaves it at that. And it's like, yeah, he's just the master of saying things just in like concise way. Yes. Brian is the only character in the transmedia series to be self-aware of the fact that he is in a transmedia yes. series. Yeah. He, he, he knows he's a cameo. He knows that he's there by the popular demand of James Goss. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, we get Terry again, and then Doom has to get to next location, which, at the end of this story, is supposed to be Earth. Yeah. Um, it isn't. It isn't. But before we move on, uh, final thoughts on a new Halloween beyond, like, well, let's all make a Brian the Huge fan club. <laughs> uh, just one thing about locations. Mm-hmm. So, she starts in a shopping centre, like, somewhere in San Francisco, then they teleport into the gay bar, 
Then they go to Golden Gate Park, which is where Star Trek Four is. So there was a moment on like, have they somehow managed to get a Star Trek reference in? They don't. <laughs> but they sort of go there, which seems to be like, I, that's like quite far out. Then they get into the city to go to the radio towers. But then at one point they're like, we have to destroy the substation. And there's just like a dirt track into woodland right next to a radio antenna that before that point has just been like in the city. And so it's kind of like, mm, it feels a bit yeah. like they have real locations for like some of the places they go in this, but it also feels like at some point they just got a little bit confused about what San Francisco is like. I mean, certainly like San Francisco itself is tiny. Um, okay. You you sort of, you know, you, you, have the, you have the peninsula and that's basically your San Francisco and then you kind of start heading into like, uh, I don't know, like San Mateo County or something like that. Um, and then okay. on the other side of of, uh, of the Golden Gate Bridge, you have South Salito. So yeah. presumably this could be one of those locations and an artistic license is being taken to sort of confine it to a more well-known location. At the same time, yeah, I, I see your point. It does seem to be a bit geographically confused. I mean, certainly on television in general, like in you know if a place is filmed in london or even somewhere like oxford uh like the expect the inspector moore series um there is a lot of like they'll be on one street and then they'll turn a corner and they'll be in a building that's actually on the other side of the city yeah like you know it's not something that's just like a problem with doomsday and like also i've never been to san francisco so i've no idea what it's actually like but it was just something that was just a bit weird when they're just like we're in the middle of the city we're now in deep in woodland you're like okay cool so we are now coming to the final story in Four from Doomsday, Dark Space. And again, it is written by Suze Kempner. Not written by Suze Kempner. <laughs> that would be amazing. Suze Kempner yeah. should have been allowed to write stuff. But it was at least read by Suze Kempner. Um, so I'm keeping that in. Please do. Please do. <laughs> um, so Doom thinks she's on a mission to eliminate a Dalek in 2167 London. But instead, she finds herself on a distant, dying planet far into the future. Uh, her initial deduction is that she just chose in error, um, which, you know, Fair. fine. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, it feels like maybe it would have made more sense if she came here after the Ice Warrior one, just like when she picked at random. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, like, again, then they could have done, like, they could have done... Martian Dilemma, picks randomly, dark space, next location, ooh, San Francisco 1999, wasn't the doctor there? Yeah. Oh, wait, it's Halloween, I'm two months early. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know, maybe something happened editorially where they had to swap the stories around. Yeah, possibly. Um, the next location at the end of this one is not uh, specified, obviously it being the end of Four from Doomsday. Also, the holo the hollow suit does not reconfigure and... Uh, in the words of the narration, Doom's true outfit was visible. I assume that is the trailer outfit. I yes. think so, because it talks about like her putting up her hood and stuff, which she definitely mm -hmm. has in like the trailer. Yeah. So we then get this recording starts playing through the vortex manipulator, which just says "End my suffering." She finds wreckages of military spacecraft. She finds jelly-like aliens. Again, my brain is just like, Daleks? Uh, oh, <laughs> uh, I at went... this point... Sorry, carry on. Oh, I was going to say, I went for Battle of Razkorath Kolos. That was oh, my wow. thinking, yeah. <laughs> you, 
you you did not store all of Time Lord Victorious in your long term memory, but you did store Battle of Radio Four Extra. <laughs> yeah. Um, choices choices were made. Um, yeah. But also here, um, at, at this point, she does find a gun. So yes. she is not stuck with an Earth gun throughout Big Finish. She now has a generic alien gun that I assume they can make do what she wants. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it's just it doesn't so have a lot of power, at least in this story. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, presumably they'll just find a way to be like, oh, the Vortex manipulator charged it, something, something. And then, single-handedly making the format worth it, the TARDIS noise. Yes. <laughs> After not having Paul McGann in the last one, you know, it does make up for it having it in this one. Mm-hmm. Well, not Paul, not Paul McGann specifically. <laughs> well, no. But uh, the Twelfth Doctor, which, yeah. bless her, Suze Kempner, she tries. Oh, yes. Yeah. She tries yeah. very hard to play an older Scottish man. And she does a very good job of it in the circumstances. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely like point, like, it's not perfect, but like point, definitely points for effort. Yes. Absolutely. Um, so Doom asks, why are you wearing sunglasses on a world with a dead sun? And I think actually, looking at my notes here, this comes to a point that you made earlier, James, about uh, things that Doom's doing for the first time that she's done in other narratives. Yes. So she's seen the TARDIS in mm-hmm. Extraction Point. Yeah. She's done enough research to know that Missy isn't the Doctor mm-hmm. and to know who Ian and Barbara are. Which was in this story, so there's no excuse for that. Yeah. But she doesn't recognise 12. No, doesn't recognise 12 <laughs> and doesn't recognise the TARDIS, which yeah. is just like Yeah, it's, it's a very weird. strange one. And, and again, it's like, obviously you've got a thing with the corporate partners not talking to each other, but in this story with the same writer, she knows who Ian and Barbara are. So you would think she would know who all the, at least like, post Hartnell incarnations of the Doctor are. I mean, the thing is, like, she went to see, obviously, like, River Song, like, a while ago in mm-hmm. in Doomsday terms now, but, like, at least in the Husbands of River Song, River has that, like, wallet with, like, all the photos oh, of the Doctors in. And yeah. you feel like she should have just been, like, by the way, Doom, here's, like, all of what the Doctors look like, just in case you need it. Yeah. And I guess, like, she doesn't immediately accept 13 and for good reason because 13 is actually chameleon Um, but like (laughs) and that is based on slip-ups obviously that being in a lost in time event we don't really get to see doom's like facial expressions and what no whether she has initial the sprites don't move um (laughs) yeah but yeah you could you could definitely make that sort of headcanon argument and uh you know it works um the monocle doom's monocle neither confirms nor denies that this man is the target and doom decides she could always vaporize him later if necessary now the doctor and doom then encounter what initially seems to be the source of the message um a person called dr gina haku which is like if you have Hmm. georgia harper at home Hmm. um She's in this spacesuit that's keeping her alive. She's obviously suffered some traumatic injuries in this mm. battle, but like the spacesuit is forcing her to stay alive. So she's in pain. She's in like, she did eventually die of overextended old age and she's now a data ghost, which to be fair is an extraction point yeah. go back. Yeah. Well, and it's also a, um, like science in the library. It's the like, ah. yeah. Things. yeah. yeah. Okay, so that explains how two different Doomsday pieces of media have done the same idea. <laughs> um, and yeah, Doom 
switches switches off the data ghost, but the task is not marked of complete. Again, another kind of continuity error. Doom says to the doctor, I've been looking for one of you, but we already know she's looking for a specific one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And also, she met the doctor in our one. So you would think she would at least recognize that doctor if she saw that doctor. And she would know that this man is not that person. I think um, so, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's an odd one. So then the uh, actual... Um, I, I sort of don't understand the, the conceit of, of this particular race of aliens that, that we see. Um, Doom basically gets... I don't know, whacked in the head metaphorically or metaphysically, sees all these visions where... We go into a dream sequence. It's a full-on dream sequence, yeah. Uh, sees all these visions where she needs to uh, kill the doctor somehow. Uh, so essentially, in the dream sequence, we start with Doom. She's in front of a crowd. She's being cheered. Um, she's offered to be protector of the Sayers, but the doctor intervenes. Um... And Doom said, the doctor intervenes. She says something like, they can't be, uh, they, they can't be protected of the Sayers. They've killed all their siblings. Doom's internal monologue takes much more issue with being called they than with being accused of, of killing siblings. Um, yeah. Like, they, they really weirdly bring that out. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those things again where, like, the whole of Doomsday has kind of had a weird issue with, like, is Doom nice? Because, like, she kills people for a living, but she generally tends to only kill, mm. like, quote-unquote, people yeah. who deserve it. Like, generally, like, with the exception of the guy, the, like, the kind of martyr in one of the Lost in Time events, she doesn't actually yeah. kill anyone who's just, like, ostensibly just good. And so it kind of feels like a bit, again, they're just like, oh, if we just sort of gloss over this murder bit, then you might like Doom still. Yeah, so potentially, like, these are Doom's views. We're not necessarily being told we have to like them. It's, it's, it's an odd moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, one of, it's one of those things that kind of does stretch the format here. The, the theme, the, the sort of theme of can assassins be a force for good is like i get what they're trying to do here consciously or not i think this one is definitely not super conscious of of that theme being explored here but yes we get all these uh, all these dream sequences yeah there's another one where uh she's yeah. in a space battle and like it becomes clear at this point that she's clearly in this dream sequence she is somebody else yeah um so, you know, and she's fighting and there's an assault on Alpha Centauri. They're trying to take down the Galactic Federation. But again, the doctor, the, the, the doctor thwarts her mm. um, and then she wakes up. Yes. Um, so the, 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 the reason why we had these dream sequences is that the actual alien that, uh, that shows up is some kind of a time sensitive telepath yes they're called they're called time sayers and again yeah. when doom describes them um she describes the uh aliens that she saw in the crowd in the dream sequence and that they kind of don't appear to have a gender they are sort of glowing yeah um they have the 
the the the line that the twelfth Doctor says is, or or the Doom. I'm not sure exactly who says this, I but when the twelfth Doctor, twelfth Doctor is, were they non-binary with a red and blue tinge to the glow? And I just thought it's like. The words genderless and androgynous already exist. Like, it just feels like something that's sort of trying to be a weird dig, but isn't really a dig because it doesn't Mm -hmm. really go anywhere. Yeah, it's sort of, it's it's another, like, sort of, it kind of goes back, I think, to, like, in a woke rage. It's just, like, another line that just feels a bit out of place. It it feels like they've gone, hmm, which words are cool right now? Uh, Without really thinking much as to their meaning. Um... Yeah, again, I'm not I'm not sure if that's entirely true to the 12th Doctor's character at this point. Not at all. I I think I think he would have he would have said a different word here, perhaps androgynous, perhaps sort of genderless, uh, perhaps just bald. Yeah. (laughs) Um, He would have said something like big glowing things. Yes. Um, (laughs) So. The 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 alien. Uh, do we have a name? Zeta, I believe. Zeta. I think so. Yes. Um, yeah. So this Zeta repeats. Uh, so Doom was basically seeing their visions. Yes. Mm. And they repeat this like end my suffering, and basically it transpires that uh, Zeta is suffering because they're trying to do like evil stuff, and the Doctor keeps thwarting them. Zeta is seeing their suffering in the future because the Doctor's going to thwart them. So Zeta hired Doom to kill the Doctor. As the Doctor says, people do often want me dead, but I've usually met them first. Yeah. Um, Zeta kind of glimpses a future of, of conquest, but in every vision, the Doctor thwarts them for what they believe and, they're and entitled then, to. And then it, we actually get this sort of vision thing done again mm. as part of Zeta trying to convince Doom to to kill the Doctor, but in, you know, of offering her riches, status, being yeah. adopted into Zeta's family in one of those, which is <laughs> yeah, But Death weird. is still there. Yeah. Death <laughs> is still there in every single one of them. Death is still there. Yeah. Which kind of feels like for people who can see the future, it sort of implies that Doom has literally no hope of succeeding and should yeah. just give up. So Doom does pull the trigger on Zeta. So in yeah. a way, kind of, again, very much not completing her mission, but the client is dead, so... Yeah. Well, it's kind of, you know, like the Twelfth Doctor sort of is like, ah, well, you see, you did end her suffering because she died before okay. she could suffer, which yeah. is sort of true, but also like... The Doctor getting doomed to just, like, shoot a woman in cold blood is, like, pretty dark, even for Peter Capaldi's Doctor, who could sometimes could really be is. a bit morally dubious. Like, this is properly, like, no, just kill her. I don't care. Yeah. Um, and then the Doctor in this kind of epilogue scene initially claims to remember Doom, but says there's nothing I can do. He says, I can't interfere, Doom, for reasons which i thought was a nice call back to the start <laughs> yeah, i really hope that is. was deliberate yeah and he also specifically says why should i help an assassin which really th- calls back to some of the themes that you were discussing earlier the problem is like i'd like seeing all the different doctors but i feel like there needs to be a bit more point to them rather than just sort of showing up and often just mm-hmm. being like thanks doom but i can't help go away like there needs to be a little bit more to it like now we're so far into doomsday it feels like there should be a bit more they can do with them rather than just being like, 
I don't care, not my problem. Absolutely. Uh, and then right at the end, the Doctor does feel some guilt at using Doom to kill Zeta, but he also feels guilty because he lied about remembering meeting her because, again, he was William Hartnell at that point, so it's yes. so long ago that he just quite, doesn't remember. Quite a long time yeah. ago. And it yeah. ends with him kind of wondering if her fate is still open, uh, which, you know, is something... While Doom, of course, goes off to next location. And and that's it. That is Dark Space. And that is four from Doomsday. So Yeah. Yeah, what what, what were your general impressions? Um, no, it was like generally I think if I had to rank them, I'd probably go with the Steel Cascade I thought was the strongest. Then I think an Ood Halloween. Then I think I'd probably go with Dark Space, and then I'd probably put the Martian um Martian Dilemma, that's it, yes. I'd probably put that one at the bottom. Like, you know, I don't think... Like, I thought all of them were stories that I enjoyed. Some just had more issues than others. But I think mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. was just really nice to actually have Suze Kempner being able to be Doom and, like, do the plot rather than just sort of saying, yeah. like, time is running out, buy something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's just every advert. Like, for yes. everything. Time is running out, buy something. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I I really enjoyed these audios on the whole, not without some of the flaws that have plagued the, the Doomsday series as a mm. whole, but um, yeah, uh, really engaging. And Suze Kempner in particular is fantastic. Great yeah, to see great. her actually be Wonderful. allowed to do yeah. things. I, I, did, I did also have the impression that this was going to be more like a full cast audiobook. Mm. Um, where they actually get you know different actors to do different characters' lines, even if it is essentially a narration read from a book rather than a dr audio drama. I did briefly think they were yeah. doing that, but no, Sue's mm. Kempner is just that good at Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I did like. I do think that if I don't, it might have been a matter of scheduling or something. But like, if they could have got Silas Carson, Jay Griffith, and Sue's Kempner to just like perform all the parts themselves, I think it probably yeah. would have worked pretty well but you know that's not how it turned out so that was um that was uh far from doomsday but i've i've got some i've got some news for you uh he, and, he, is, he is about to read out some tweets I, okay. and, and the new and the news is worlds apart is still trying to be relevant and this is relevant to doomsday how well, it's relevant to Time Lord Victorious, and we do have a noted <laughs> Time Lord Victorious understander on the pod. I'm so sorry. So, um, th this is this is once again via Jamie and Madman Not a Box on the website formerly known as Twitter. Um, for folks who haven't kept up with Doctor Who NFT game, why would you? The latest we're being made to now. Yeah, the latest news from their CEO is that they've had meetings with the with the BBC team to reevaluate Worlds Apart. They've been completely reworking the gameplay and shifting to a mobile focus. Now, question: What gameplay? I I I, did, I wasn't aware that, that it got to the point where the game bit had opened, but it has been some time I don't since believe I paid attention had. to it. Um, <laughs> Again, like, we, we, you know, like, I, Philip, we've spent how long as a result of this podcast talking about Doctor Who Lost in Time? Um, we don't need any longer. 
No. No. There, there, we we already have a game where Sergeant Benton is being turned into cards. Oh, can I can I tell can I tell the uh, lovely people listening about our experience watching the demons? Yes. Uh, we watched the demons um, a few days ago, and on the appearance of Benton, Philip exclaims. That's Sergeant John Benton from the bloody phone game. <laughs> Which, uh, I, I, yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. I just, I, I think it's fantastic. how the character, I think, you know, it's how the character would want to be yeah. remembered. So, James, quickly, before Philip forces more NFT content on us, <laughs> where can we find you? Oh, sorry, I didn't catch that. Uh, where, where can we find you online? Pluggables, plug things. Uh, yes, I mean, so you can find me uh, on my again account formed on the website formerly known as twitter uh, at james ashworth 98 uh or you can find me on my blog which is the link is in the bio is probably the easiest way to get there excellent um i am mind the flap on all of the socials or most of the socials where you can see me either not post post roundels play guitar badly uh, I also have a blog, mindtheflap.wordpress.com, uh, which I did actually update recently. Unfortunately for everybody, I updated it with a track-by-track breakdown of Royal Blood's Back to the Water Below. Um, so for the, like, one person listening, eight, eight other people, for the eight other people listening who are interested in that, uh, that is on my blog. I mean, look, I'm just glad you didn't go for, for the sliders and, and you just went for the CD. I was I was briefly tempted. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am at Minkowski on the website formerly known as Twitter. I am at FTW on Blue Sky and at FTW at Tilde.zone on Mastodon. Um, and I also do music with Georgia where... Uh, she actually plays guitar reasonably well, um, and uh, we we do we do some fun stuff. I uh, definitely play guitar well. It's not because <laughs> Philip is an amazing producer who can fix it. Um, find, you can find it on Spotify under Philip Wheeland. Um, all of those links will be in the show notes. Um, uh, yes, music on the podcast by the amazing Philip Wheeland. Uh, artwork by Sam Chowner-Hearn. Um, next time, we will be covering Big Finish, Dying Hours, Ooh. which release date is currently um, September TBC. So we will record that episode at some point. Well, it is yes. September now, so um, they, they, they only have so many days left. Yeah, I mean, it's also it's quite appropriate because there was a reference to the Temperons, which are from The Sirens of Time, the first Big Finish Doctor Who got ah. name dropped in uh, dark space well well, well spotted um <laughs> and I, on have, that bombshell. I, I have heard the sirens of time but it was so long ago that i i don't remember um but yes thank you so much for joining us james no no yes. problem lovely to be here thank you and, and, right. and we will see you for the next piece of media bye bye